You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Welcome to the latest edition of All's Caps, a former Capitals defenseman Carl Alsner. I'm AP hockey writer Steve Wino, and we are pleased to be joined by voice of the Washington Capitals, NBC Sports Washington, Joe Beninati. Joe, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, guys. Great to see your faces and hear your voices. It, 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 it's, it's funny because we've, we've, we've been doing this now since September, and Joe, Joe and I were joking that like it's been so long for us to invite him on the show, so that's my fault. More, <laughs> more than anything, that's my fault that you haven't been on for now, but we're glad to have you here. It's perfectly fine. I'm used to being pushed way down the list. That's something that's Locker's done to me for 25 years. So don't worry about that. You're just joining the company. <laughs> We've just been looking forward to this. And Carl has all these stories he wants to ask you about. I don't want to waste any time. Uh, of course, we're, we'll talk some capital stuff. We'll, we'll get to Carl's stupid questions. But there's a story about a light falling on your head. There's a lunch story. Carl, where, where are we starting here? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got prob- probably like eight or nine that I've been teed up to ask you. Um, yeah, there's these ones that Wino said, but I mean, I think the one that I want to ask first that I forgot to text you, but um, I was told about some sort of zip lining in Whistler that oh, yeah. and, and <laughs> I, I don't know much about it. So if you could enlighten us, that'd be great. Listen to me. This is your neck of the woods, right? This is home for you. That's what I want to know. I've been on this zip line too. And I, I, we're bitter about not doing games on the road for quite a while the last couple of years, but one of the main cities that I would have missed the most would have been Vancouver. I, I think it's one of the most beautiful cities in North America, we always look forward to going out there. And a couple seasons back, pre-COVID, the entire TV team were out there. It just so happens, thank God, we look at the schedule and they're a couple of days off in between whichever Calgary, Edmonton side and Vancouver side of the trip that we're on. So we have a couple of days. The team is based in Whistler of all places. This is nice, very good. So all of a sudden, the TV guys get the bright idea. Let's do some zip lining. And the amount of zip lining experience that I have in my um, in my life, number 27, is about zero at the time. <laughs> but we are at the top of a beautiful resort, and I'm looking around and going, this could be interesting. We get to the first zip line, and Kevin Santos, who's our producer, director at the time, Kevin's still with us too, actually. He does part-time caps, part-time hurricanes. He's like, uh, Joe, why don't you go first? I'm like, there's no flipping way I'm going for. I am looking at this long, extended zipline run, point to point, over top of these cavernous mountains. And I'm like, you guys are nuts. We're really doing this? We went, and I was shaking all the while as Kevin took off. Then it was my turn. And of course, we're part of a TV crew, so everybody's got their phones out. Uh, we're, we're making this a possible video segment for an intermissions feature and whatever. So now all of a sudden I'm seeing cameras as I'm in my helmet, in my zip line, swinging back and forth going, am I real? And then off I go. 
And I believe the words out of my mouth were holy <laughs> some S word. As off we go, uh, it turned out to be fantastic. We had a beautiful day for it. Thank God it wasn't windy, but going, uh, especially, I remember, I wish I could remember the name of the first run. The yeah, first yeah. zip line run was as intimidating as I could imagine. The rest of them were much shorter, tighter, harder turns. The first one, though, you felt like you were 10 miles in the air and you were going for 10 miles away. Yeah. It was a blast, trust me, but I was shaking and screaming and cursing the whole time. Yeah, I, and I know this one because I've done that tour a couple times, and I'm pretty sure that, that the one that you're talking about is the longest continuous zip line in for sure in North America, unless there's a, a new one since. But I know exactly what you're saying. It's, it's Carl, I wasn't feeling, happy, yeah. Carl. Carl, no, I wasn't it's happy. A really weird feeling. <laughs> uh, the other ones are nice, quick, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Yeah. Catch your breath and go. Yeah. This one felt like forever. And just looking out at the horizon, Wino, I mean, uh, it was it was it was straight down and nothing but trees. This, oh. this is how I feel on roller coasters where like I, I can't do upside down roller coasters. I, I like roller coasters upside down. I just close my eyes and just enjoy it. Yeah, I I don't like the ones that are in your face, like 3D yeah, those yeah, ones, those. things whipping around. Those are no upside down, like maybe once or twice, one or two yeah. loops, that's it. But We've had some of our best adventures near your hometown, Carl. Honestly, that zip line was great. Bicycling in Stanley Park was great. Um, the seaplanes in Vancouver, that yeah. was unbelievable. We did a Grouse Mountain tour and all that. Guys are puking on each other. It's just wonderful, good fun to have. <laughs> Vancouver's a place that, like, any fan, like, and I've talked to a couple just just the last uh, few weeks saying that they're trying to hit hit all the buildings in the league. And I always say, like, like just get, get out west, do the Edmonton, oh, yeah. Calgary, Vancouver. Now you're in Seattle, too. Like, that yeah. part of the world is, is just very – it's just so cool. You have to see it. So much fun. And we missed it this past time. Hopefully next season we'll be back in Canada, our broadcasts uh, – from a technology standpoint, we'll be welcome in, in Canada and we'll be back to normal. But um, missing Vancouver this uh, past few days was was pissing me off, to be honest. Yeah, no kidding. What do you? What's that like? Like, I mean, not like not being in person to see those games. Like, are you guys doing the ones now in the U.S. at least? We are, and in this case, the week ahead for the Caps coming up uh, in Columbus and Raleigh will be there. Okay. Most okay. people assume that this is COVID related. I don't want to be breaking news here or anywhere per se, but um, I, I think a portion of what we've been doing by not going to Canada has been health related, but mostly it has to do with the, with the technology that we're putting into place this season that is not recognized by Canadian truck companies. So how we're doing the game in Columbus and how we're doing the game in Raleigh this week is uh, um, for lack of a better word, um, not acceptable to the way the truck companies do it in Canada. So in the interim, we do those Canadian city games as we will when we visit Toronto and Montreal coming up here pretty soon. We'll do those from the studio as world feeds. We'll be accepting a feed from Toronto, from Montreal, and we'll be calling the game from our DC studios. I am not complaining. I, I think our engineers, our managers have done an incredible job throughout the pandemic time of getting us on the air and yeah, there are challenges to calling a game from a studio when you're not in the arena. You don't see things behind the play. You don't see line changes. You don't see a goalie pulled. Um, there are a lot of things that are, are uncomfortable, 
but it would be silly for me to complain about those. You could, you could stand me in the men's room. I'll call the game. Just, just get me to the rink and have me calling it or get me to a building where, or get me to a place where I can see it and I'll have fun with it. Do you, do you like the road? Like, I mean, I love the road. Do you like being on the road or do you like being at home more? You know, for that's, that's the best question. People ask me, do you miss it? I don't really miss being in LA yeah. or being in Vancouver. I, although I just told you, I did miss it. I really do. That's <laughs> those are special places and all the cities that we go to, you can find great things to do. Yes. Do I miss the camaraderie with our TV crew going out to dinner or going out to having some fun in different places? Absolutely. I do. But more than anything, what I miss most is seven o'clock or seven thirty being in the building and seeing you guys work for real. Um, it helps me do my job better. Most people, I think knock on wood, give me the nicest compliment and say, geez, Joe, we wouldn't notice that you and Craig weren't there at the game that night. That's a great compliment. That's the kind of feedback you want. But when we're doing it, it's just different. You don't feel 18,000 people around you at Madison square garden when you're doing it from a, from a DC studio. Um, your point of view is beholden to that first number one camera that plays wide, what we call a play-by-play camera. Player identification, knock on wood, has been good. That's something I, I pride myself on and try and study as much as possible. But it's not as easy as you might imagine to call it off of a TV screen as it would be, even though we're six stories up and we do the games at Capital One Arena, your field of vision is much better to see plays develop than it would be while you're trying to call it from a TV. But this is what you pay me for. And this is what I, like I said, I, I love more than anything to do. Wherever you put the game in front of me, whether it be live or whether it be on a, um, on a TV screen, I'm going to make my best, make the best out of it that I can. And, and look, selfishly, I, I'm, I'm glad Alex Ovechkin did not score 767. <laughs> while well, you had to call it off a, off, a, off a TV screen. I'm very glad. I'm, I'm hoping you will be at the game and we'll be able to have your call of Alex Ovechkin's 767th goal. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about, about that. Some more stories after this break. We'll be right back on All's Caps. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to All's Caps with former Capitals defenseman Carl Alsner and voice of the Washington Capitals, Joe Beninati. I'm AP hockey writer Steve Wino. Um, I, I, wanna, I just want to ask one Ovechkin question first before Carl has one of his 17 stories about you to ask about. <laughs> what more can you say about this guy? Because we talk about this all the time. And, and, and you obviously have all of these games and a thousand games you've broadcasted of Alex Ovechkin. What more can you say about what this guy is doing? Remarkable for me to see it. And to know that at any point in time, and Carl knows this, and you know this covering the team as long as you have, Steve, 
at any point in time, Alex is always dealing with something that's nagging him from an injury standpoint. Yep. And whether or not we're able to say that publicly or, or if, whether or not it's attributable on an injured list or in an injury report, uh, whether it's spelled out as anything more than bumps and bruises, for 17 years I've watched him play at the highest level possible and always have, you know, this is nagging, this is nagging, this is, and he plays through it and you wouldn't know it. Uh, that to me, I don't know if the general public, I don't know if the fan base knows that he goes through what he goes through to be on the ice every night, the amount of treatment that he's getting, the amount of doctor care and athletic trainer care that he gets, physiotherapy, massage therapy, all that he's doing with his own personal trainer. I, I think all of us are blinded by the slap shot. All of us are blinded <laughs> by his ability to, to run over people on the forecheck. Uh, the, the ability to convert snapshots in the blink of an eye. We're all amazed by that. But I don't know if we truly appreciate how physically hard he's played the game for 17 seasons. He is the definition for me of a power forward. Yep. And I know in recent seasons, and especially this season, I think everybody can probably tell due to self-preservation, he's not throwing as many hits as he did when he was a kid. Yep. He's just not. He knows that he's got to pick his spots, and yet still, when he wants to run over a defenseman, he can do it like nobody's business. He's still the biggest car in the demolition derby when he wants to be. Um, you know, we we were talking about potentially his breaking past Yarmir Yager to third all-time in goal scoring. It would have been interesting had he done it in Vancouver, which is the site of one of his greatest hit and runs as a power forward, right? When he destroyed Yarmir Yager in the Olympics. Yep. Um, I, yeah, selfishly, I pray that when he gets 767, when he gets 800, when he gets all the future milestones that were there in person and that the goals are nice and clean, you know, they're not off his butt. It's not a deflection off the, off the toe of his stick. Well, he's got five guys around him. I hope it's a nice clean call that we can share with everyone, but I don't know if people understand, and, and I'm sure Carl can tell you this firsthand, how hard he hits people. And he's still doing it at age 36. It's yeah, amazing. That's why he's the Russian machine. It's I had that exact conversation two days ago. Someone talking about Austin Matthews, maybe he's going to challenge for, for that record. And, you know, maybe he will, but like, he's, he's like, what is he? Six years into his career, whatever it is. And he's already had, you know, wrist issues and like things, things that, things that are not going to be good, you know, probably down the road. And, and Obi has had, had issues too, but, for some reason he can find a way to like not have any of those huge blowups, you know, something that takes him up for half a year. He's I'm not here. I'm not here blowing sunshine up your skirt call, but you were that kind of a player too. You were there every day. Yeah, You were there every day, no matter what you had bothering you. I don't know if we as fans and we as broadcasters, we as media types, I don't know if we truly understand how hard it is for an athlete to play 82 games at this level as fast and as hard and as physical as it is. And you did it. So you can completely understand what Alex does at the highest level. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing it, lugging around an extra 30 pounds <laughs> like, <laughs> like he does. So whatever he's doing, and you know, well, I guess both of us, not really the most, uh, not Kuznetsov like skating up and down the ice. So the way he's been able to do what he's done with, with his frame and stuff, it, it is insane. Sure. But. Okay, can you, okay, what, what is the best of the story you want to ask? <laughs> Oh man. Well, I, I, I really want to know about this, uh, the lunch with locker, um, wait, waiting in the hallway. 
Yeah, sure. Um, something along those lines. This is this is um, one of Craig's favorites, and <laughs> we are at cocktail parties. This usually makes the makes the grade because I don't want to say that Locker is self centered, but he's self centered <laughs> is what he is, and at occasions he likes to well sort of um, rub my nose in it a little bit. So. This is a day where we're playing at Madison Square Garden. The Caps are up there. And Locker doesn't like to come in day of for uh, for whatever reason. He's not a big New York City fan. I grew up on Long Island. I have family in New York City. When the Caps are playing the Rangers or the Islanders or the Devils, I like to be there. Locker doesn't. So Locker plans to take the train up uh, from his home here in the uh, in the Maryland area. He takes the train up in the morning on the day of the game in New York. I go to the morning skate, watch you guys work out at, at MSG. Locker's not there. He's on the train. And all the while, hey, we'll meet up for lunch. I'll share whatever notes from whatever coach or from whatever player, any conversations I get. We'll talk about it over lunch. Fine. That day, I'm at the skate. I get my notes. I go back to the hotel. I'm waiting for Craig. Locker's traveling up with our stage manager and our statistician friend, Tommy Morris. They're both coming up on the train. Joe, we'll meet you for lunch. Just hang out, Carl. Uh, 1230, 1 o'clock, 1.15, 1.30, 2 o'clock, no locker. I'm in the hotel lobby. I'm waiting for a call to say, hey, let's go to lunch. No. What, is, what does Ding Dong do? He shows up at 2.30 with lunch in hand for himself and for Tommy. Nothing for me. He just hoses me. And says, you're on your own. I'm like, dude, it's almost three o'clock. We've got to get on the bus at four. <laughs> this is what he does. Selfish, selfish SOB. And oh, I've lived boy. with it for 25 years. This is what he does to me. That's Rubs my nose in it. We, we're going to have to get his side of the story, too, because I'm sure he's it's the, No, this is his side of the story, damn it. <laughs> he walks in with two big bags of lunch, walks right by me, goes and eats it in his room and says, see ya. I'm like, dude, you're killing me. Oh, this you, is should, him. you should have fed him some fake information for that. Yeah. This is my guy. Yeah, I should have. I should have. I should have said, yeah, Alder's playing with 105 degree fever. <laughs> this, this whole thing is a book. You and Locker is a book at some point. Steve, we're going to call you to ghostwrite it. Trust me. You got my number. You're the man. You got my number. I guess one of the things I kind of want to ask, because I, we've talked about it a bunch and, and we wanted to have this episode over some wine if we could, but maybe yeah. at another point, but can you explain to us how you became a wine guy in the first place? Oh, this is a great story. I, I was the kid in college who didn't like beer or wine. I really didn't have a taste for either of them. And if I was going to have one at a party, it was going to be beer. But all of a sudden, I, I think back to it and I, I start remembering my late father and I just so wish that my love of wine would have happened while he was alive, Carl. It, it, it didn't. But I know that my dad liked a nice glass of wine and I didn't share it with him at that time. I, I was right around, I'd say maybe age 40. So this is early 2000s, maybe 2004, 2005. I'm doing major college football on Versus. I'm doing the um, Mountain West and the Pac-10 at the time. The guy that I was with, the guy who was doing color analysts for us was Glenn Parker, six foot seven, 340 pound offensive lineman. Carl, you know that I'm not six, seven, 340. So you can <laughs> imagine the two of us on camera. 
Yes. He would sit in a chair. I would stand next to him. He was still taller than me while he was seated. I felt like a ventriloquist dummy whenever we were on the air together, but we worked really well together. Long story short, a, a figuratively and literally huge food and wine fan. He finished up his NFL career in New York. He became friends with uh, celebrity chef Bobby Flay. So fast forward now, we're doing a game in Las Vegas. Uh, Wisconsin is playing a non-conference game at UNLV. So I'm doing a Big Ten game at the time. We fly out all day. It's late Thursday. I'm wiped out. We have meetings Friday morning. Glenn calls me. He's all excited Thursday night. Joe, you got to come out. Joe, you got to come out. Glenn, where are you? Bobby's opening a Mesa Grill inside of Caesar's Palace. Bobby who? Bobby Flay. I'm like, oh, 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 yeah. Okay, great. They want to sample the whole menu with us. The place isn't open yet. And they want to do wine pairings for all the food. And I'm like, Carl, literally, I did not have a taste for wine at this time. I truly didn't. Yeah. I said, you know what? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Let me do it. Off we go. Basically, it's the uh, sommelier of the, of the restaurant, the general manager of the restaurant, the chef, me and Glenn, five of us. And it was incredible how, yeah, try this little steak with this little California cab. Try this piece of seafood with this Chardonnay from South Africa. Right. They did it. I don't know if they did one dish with us, they did 20 small little baby pours, but how the wine meshed with the food and how the food meshed with the wine. I was taken with it. I was caught by it. I fell in love with it. And more than anything now, I've been a collector for the last 15, 16 years. More than anything now, I don't drink wine by myself. I really don't. I don't come home after a game and pop a bottle. But I would love to share wine with you and your families. Yeah. I would yeah. love to have that kind of memory for me. Wine has become friendship. It's become love for me. Yeah, it's a passion. I love studying it. I'm not into the farming aspect of it. I don't, I'm not going to get my hands dirty per se. But I love learning about how the, the wines are developing in cask in bottle and how they're going to age and how they're going to improve and decline over time. I'm fascinated by that part of it, but more than anything, there's the social aspect to it. I really enjoy sitting across from good friends and family and people that I love and sharing a bottle of wine. And, and I think I'm more of the, the beer nerd about that stuff. Like I, I enjoy trying different kinds of beers and those sort of things, but you would have appreciated this. I, I was with uh, on the way back from Beijing. I flew back through Paris and a colleague of ours, Frank Saravalli, said, go to this wine and cheese place. So I went, my buddy from, from my colleague from Boston and I were there together. And so it was a wine and cheese pairing. It's like, you want the creamy cheese, you want this cheese. Yeah. And it was, and it was whatever, six kinds of cheeses and six wine in test tubes. So I'm in doing test tubes. Wow. Yeah. So test tubes of wine, you pour it out, you try the cheese, you do the wine. And it was just an incredible, you said social experience. Of yeah. it, it, all the flavors were great, the company was great, and just that that whole atmosphere is fantastic. And then how you and I and Carl would associate a different wine. We might taste it, like it, love it, hate it, disagree about it, agree on some things, and then the very next day it could be an entirely different experience. Six yeah. months later, when we had that same bottle, it'll be a totally different experience. It's a living, breathing thing. It, it's really cool in that sense. It's intimidating for a lot of people too. Oh yeah. Like you feel like you should like something or know this about that, but I've been, that's one thing that I finally got to the point where I'm like, I try and taste all these things blind now. And yeah. then that's how I choose what I really like and, and start to order more things like that. But it's, it's the same thing with, you know, with a whiskey, it's like, 
the story is what's so cool about so yeah. many of these things. Carl, I haven't grown up to the brown liquors yet. I haven't grown up. I told you, it took me forever to like, I, I now genuinely like the taste of a good beer. I love wine. I just can't tolerate bourbons and whiskeys. They, they taste like medicine to me. Yeah. Maybe yeah. one of these days, another 10 years from now, that'll I'll fall in lockstep there. But more than anything, what, what impresses me or what, what I try to impress upon people is drink what you like. Sure. Don't don't sit there and go, oh, I have to have this $200 bottle of wine. No, the $10 bottle of wine, if you like it, drink it. It's your yeah. palate. That's great. If we can show you that the $25 bottle of wine may or may not be better or the $2,000 bottle of wine may or may not be better, then that's the fun part of the experience. Don't be intimidated by, oh, you're supposed to love this. It's got 99 point ratings across the board. If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's what the fun is. That's what we're involved in when we're when we're sitting down and tasting and comparing. Yeah. Uh, one day we're going to do another. We're going to have you back on this podcast with a couple of bottles of wine. And we'll tell stories. We'll do all this over again. Very happy to do it. Anytime. I, I, I can't wait to do that. Uh, when we come back on All's Caps, Carl's favorite part of the show uh, and Joe Benanati becomes the latest victim of Carl's stupid questions. Welcome back to All's Caps with former Capitals defenseman Carl Alsner and voice of the Capitals and wine aficionado Joe Beninati. I'm copywriter <laughs> writer Steve Wino. And now for Carl's stupid questions. Yes, yeah, so we explained a little bit uh, whose line is it anyway. Points don't matter. Just have some fun. Um, I think I think these should all be fairly easy, pretty 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 good layups for you. But let's start with the first one since we were just on the topic of wine. Um, do you have a dream wine trip? A certain area that you'd like to go to, or maybe you've already been there. But uh, somewhere that would just be, you would just be in heaven if you if you got to do this trip. Absolutely, and I wouldn't know. I, I don't know if I'd ever come back. If I actually <laughs> do this, I might stay there forever. I, I love super Tuscan wine, so Tuscany and the Northern Rhone. I love Syrah. I have. I think we'll we'll come to find that I have an unusual kind of palate. Everybody's like, oh Bordeaux, love Bordeaux, prefer Rhone. Oh Piedmont, you got to love Barolo, Barbaresco, love them but prefer Tuscany. So Tuscany or Rhone to me would be the two that I would go to. No problem. Nice. Love that. Can we, can we get you to Milan in 2026 and then also take a couple weeks off and do that? I'm in count on it. Yes. <laughs> in. Um, okay. So let's go besides wine here because uh, I want to see what else we can find out. Do you have a guilty pleasure? I love to cook. Oh yeah. I actually really do love to cook. And I, I just, I wish it were for more than just myself. You know, you never feel like making big dinner for just yourself. But when I have the chance and uh, we're having a dinner party, if, if people let me cook, then I'm in. Let, let me know when. But a guilty pleasure for me, that that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really not much of a soap opera fan or a or a book reader, per se. But um, the guilty pleasures are usually related to the kitchen, food and wine. What do you want to cook? For you or for anybody in general? I, you know, I, what I've been, I've been, I grew up watching my mother, my grandmother, and my dad cook a great deal. My father is a, was a New York City firefighter. There were occasions when I would go into the city uh, before we would go to a Ranger game or before we would go out to an Islander game, and I would see the, the firefighters cooking for themselves. I really think that's where the seeds were planted. These guys were amazing cooks. They have chef cookbooks for, for the New York City firefighters. I think that's where I really got it. My mom was a good cook. My dad was better. Really? That's really interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I've heard about some of the meals at the fire halls before. I feel like depending on who's cooking it, it's either dynamite or 
They were these guys were all good, Carl. The, the problem was they never they never got to finish a meal. Yeah. Where yeah. he was, he was he was in one of the busiest firehouses in New York in Corona, Queens, right down the street from where the Mets play baseball. And they would be on runs all the time. They'd prepare these beautiful meals. They'd sit down and boom, there would be the alarm in, invariably. No surprise there. Um, all right. Uh, who would play you in a movie? Which, which actor would play you in a movie? Oh, oh. Is there anyone you think you that, that you kind of look the same? Um, that's great. Go with Pesci. I Pesci. think he could fit my suits. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a good choice. Really good choice. Um, okay. Out of all the players in the league, who's your favorite player to watch and why is it me? Now? Yeah. Or when you were playing? <laughs> Let's go now. Let's go now. Current player. I still really, really admire Jonathan Quick. I know he plays the game in an unusual style. He's a hybrid from, from days gone by and then combining all the new RVH stuff. Jonathan has been, I, I just, I marvel at how incredibly uh, athletic he is. And, and as a, a wannabe goalie way back in the day, um, I, I am drawn to goalies as my favorite players. I realize they don't skate the full rink, but quick probably gets uh, my nod for favorite player now. Mike Madonna back in the day, I would just blown away by watching him skate his, how fluid he was. He was one of my favorites when I was a little kid. It would have been someone like uh, Chicago, Denny Savard, stick handling ability, the ability to make people miss. And um, when I was nine, 10 years old, he was just insanely good to watch um, with respect to 27 on the caps. I will say this, not just because we're talking, but people have often asked me this question. Who is the guy who was not on the 18 cup winner who you wish was? And you are definitely in my first three answers to that all the time, because you were there on the 16 team. You were there on the 17 team, both of which should have won the cup. In my opinion, both of which were really good and even better than the 18 team. But I would have loved to have seen you hoist that cup over your head. I appreciate that. Yeah. It was, I mean, we had a lot of guys that left that year. So there's a lot of guys that you know you feel feel for but but yeah no. Brooks Greeny those are those you are Matt, names you Matt Hendricks. Yeah. you and Matt Hendricks Matt Hendu is always on that list there's yeah. that I always I always struggle with that question but I get it a lot from people who would you have liked to have seen that was on the team in those formative years when you knew the caps are gonna please God do it yeah who didn't get a chance to do it in 18 and you're definitely one of those appreciate it um okay now hit me with your perfect Saturday what you, anything you can do on, on a, on a day off weekend day, what, what would you do? Perfect Saturday. Uh, I walk onto the first tee at Augusta. Yes. <laughs> I stripe one right down the middle. I play really well for about four hours. I finish up nicely. We leave off of 18. Uh, there's a bottle of Petrus waiting. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be all right. Dinner is fantastic. And then, oh, by the way, we get on a plane and we go somewhere to uh, some some beach location where I can really, really enjoy myself. That kind of thing. That would be a pretty good day. That's a perfect day. It would require an Augusta member, a private jet, none of these things that are anywhere near my fingertips. <laughs> but that is exactly what I'm looking for right there. Yeah. You've got oh, yeah. 100 out of 100 on that answer. So well played. Um, <laughs> and then the, the last one here is... Do you have a go-to like word or phrase when, if you ever have like a brain freeze and like, this is the thing that's so hard. Like 
think how many times you have in conversation where you just can't think of a word or you you can't you know you lose your train of thought especially after a couple of beers especially yeah <laughs> when you're when you're when you're on air and then does your mind ever go blank and you think okay like i have i have a couple of things i need to go to to get me out of this just buy me some time or throw it over to locker like do you have something that you you think about or like to say to get you out of a jam yeah it's a great question and knock on wood still at this age it doesn't happen very often mm-hmm. um we are not working off of a script other than the first five minutes of the show where we have an agenda and a rundown, our, our hockey shows or any live broadcast of sports is unscripted. So you learn over time, a certain gift of gab. If, if there's a a blank, if there's a brain freeze as play by play announcers, I think we're conditioned to always resort to, if you're looking for a crutch in your question, then it would always be time and score or down and distance if you're doing a football game. But thankfully, I don't, I don't stumble upon those dead air spaces. Uh, I'm able to be conversant and still, while I'm thinking or listening to someone, who a producer may be in my ear. And while he or she is talking, I am talking. Now she's giving me direction as to where she wants me to go next. I have to come up with how I want to smoothly do that while I'm still talking about the game. There's a skill there. That's a learned skill. It's something that you, you re, you can't really rehearse, but that you do over time with repetition, get more and more uh, skilled at. If you blank as a play-by-play announcer, always go back to time and score. Always remind people that Alsner has scored first and the Caps have a one nothing lead. Oh, meanwhile, oh, that's where I'm going. Meanwhile, while I'm giving time and score, which is a natural, I can find what I'm thinking and go to it smoothly. And the viewer or the listener doesn't know any different, doesn't know that I'm struggling. I don't want you to ever know that I'm struggling for a word. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine because so many times when you're in a conversation with someone where it's just like, you know, you just all of a sudden sit there quietly because you're thinking of the next thing to say, let alone being on air while the game's going on. It's uh it would, it would freak me out. And the pet peeve, the pet peeve is to never go back to a crutch word like uh, a hum or, you know, or certainly no, no, you don't, you don't want to keep leaning and joke. Anytime I'm reviewing young announcers who ask me to, to, to criticize their, their work, constructively criticize it, they'll send me links or they'll send me tapes. You're always looking for, Hey, you know, you have a great way of doing this but you often lean on the same thing saying this. Mike Emmerich would tell me when I was in my early 20s, Joe, use your vocabulary. Find different ways to say the same things because in two and a half hours, you're saying an awful lot of words and they're descriptive words about plays. So find different ways to use descriptive verbs to explain to the people that this dump in from center can be a dump in, it can be a lob, it can be a pitch, it can be whatever word you use that's actively describing it so that you don't say dump, 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 dump over and over, pass, 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 pass over and over. And I've always taken that uh, criticism to heart. And he's been, he and Gary Thorne were so kind to me when I was a baby in this business, they helped form where I am now. And I hope I only get better with those sorts of things. But when you, when you're talking about a stumble or a word that's making you freeze as a, as a play-by-play person, I always advise go to the score, give the score. You can never give the score enough even with a bug on the TV monitor, especially in radio. If you're doing radio, always give that score within 60 seconds. 
Sure. And, and, and look, Doc Emmerich has always been the gold standard for that. I, I don't know if you and I have discussed this, but I, I've known Doc since I was four years old. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, he helped me in, in kind of my career in, in all of this. But he'd always have the waffle boarded and all these other words that he would use. And doing live sports is really hard. Doing live hockey is incredibly hard. I did, I did play-by-play on baseball and soccer in college. It's incredibly hard to do hockey. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're a pro and great at this because it's really tough. The pacing, the cadence is different yeah. in baseball. Baseball is, again, for young announcers, I always I advise do baseball and do hockey. They're at the opposite ends of the spectrum. If you can do them both well, you can do everything that comes to the middle. And baseball teaches us in a really important skill, which is to shut up. It's the hardest thing for announcers. We want to fill all the air. You don't have to, especially on television, where we have so many cameras now pointed in so many different directions. Let the director, let the producer tell the story. You don't have to fill every second. Baseball teaches you to shut up. That's why I like doing it. It's hard to make myself, but when you zip it, all of a sudden now the viewer, the listener becomes that much more in tune with what they're seeing and what they're hearing. Maybe the crack of the bat or, or the call of a vendor calling out, you know, hot dog, hot dog. I mean, that sort of thing that you wouldn't hear if you were yammering away. Yeah. Well, I would love for you to one time be just like a, a mere mortal, like the rest of us and ask Locker how the weather is just so we can, uh, <laughs> just so we can hear it one time to fill the air. <laughs> Um, anyways, that's all I got for you for questions. I'm a quick uh, tally here. I will say that you are right up my alley with a lot of your answers. So this is probably going to be a good one. Under Augusta, perfect answer. We've had a perfect answer too, which is nice. The perfect answer. Yeah. The perfect answer begs a follow-up. I've never been lucky enough to see you swing a golf club. Do you play left-handed or right-handed? I play right-handed and I why play you play hockey left-handed. I, I, don't also, I also golf right-handed and, and swing a bat right-handed and play hockey left-handed. I, I Carl, please explain to me why Nicholas Backstrom and Marcus Johansson hit the hell out of a golf ball right-handed when they play hockey left-handed. It just seems like you again are the same way that left-handed slap shot seems like it would be so natural up a tee box. Why? I think what it is mainly it's the face control. Like, you know, your so your right hand as a left-handed hockey player, your right hand is your control hand, right? Sure. Golfer, your, your, your bottom hand does a little bit more control, you know, with turning the club over and all that. And the left hand is a little bit more just kind of going through the motion. So I think that's why, you know, that's why it felt more natural for me because my right hand is my control hand. And so I picked up. Oshie and Willie are never going to turn it over and play left hand. Yeah, I, I I couldn't really tell you exactly what it is. I can I can swing like I can do the motion left-handed, but uh-huh. I don't have nearly as much control. And like you know, golf is a is a game of degrees, right? Like if you're a I always off. thought it would have been that you didn't have a left-handed pair of clubs, a left-handed set of clubs around the house growing up, so you just learned how to swing it right-handed. I think that's a lot of times what happens too. It's like you have whatever your parents have. Like my dad had left-handed yep. hockey sticks, so I used lefty. My dad he did have right-handed golf clubs, so I assume that's what we do. And it just felt comfortable. So I wish, I wish I could do them both. And we mess I'm around. I'm fascinated by how it works out. Cause when <laughs> we see little Ovechkin run around on the ice shooting left-handed, you're going, yeah, my God, your dad's going to be the greatest right-handed shooter of all time. You're going to play lefty. Yeah. It looks really like smart. he's going to play lefty because the kid's really smart. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So after my tally here, you, you end up with 188 points, which uh, I think slides you into second place all time. The only one that was ahead of you also had a perfect answer in his uh, in his question. So 
the only reason why you're why you're in second, but a podium is unbelievable. And I like uh, it. I'll take the silver. I'll absolutely. take the silver. And, yes. and th- this is not going to be the last time we do this. Uh, we're we're going to have return guests eventually. We would love to do this o- o- over some wine eventually, Joe. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, when we do it, uh, we won't be zooming. We'll be in the same room together. Let's do we'll that. Be, one. Yeah, no, we're we're not doing wine on Zoom. We're doing we'll do wine in person. We'll tell some more stories because there's plenty more stories to tell. Yes, with a bottle of Petrus from your collection, please. Oh, I only have one. I have one <laughs> yeah, bottle. We'll it's 2012, and it's not being consumed for another 15, 20 years. <laughs> well, I we love were- you guys. But- but I don't love you that much. <laughs> no, I'm, sure, I'm sure we have some, some, some $15, $20 bottles that will, for me, taste No, good. no, 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 no. We'll drink really, really good stuff. <laughs> but Carl hit on the Petrus, which of which I have one. <laughs> you, hit, you hit a nerve. Uh, no, Joe, thanks for joining us. Thanks to everybody for listening on All's Caps, and we'll talk to you next week.